Amen. All right, young people, you are dismissed your junior church hour. Let's take our Bibles here in the auditorium, Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14 this morning. All right. Exodus chapter 14. You pray for our workers and our young people as they go out. Exodus chapter 14. Wow, I appreciate your singing this morning. I'm, I'm tempted when you're singing so well, I'm tempted to just keep adding song after song. I just love the singing of God's people. And we just sing all day. And uh, I was already thinking of other songs, but I thought, you know, eventually people are going to get hungry. So we better go ahead and get into the word of God. And I, I, don't, I don't believe for a moment that we'll ever get to heaven and God will say, you know, on September the 18th, you worship just a little too long. You praise the name of my son for just a little bit more than I would like. You know, you got to keep that down to 30 minutes or whatever. And uh, there's, no, there's no clock in eternity. And so we just, we're just going to praise as long as the Lord leads us. And, but let's look at Exodus chapter 14 as we turn to the word of God today. And a familiar story about the crossing of the Red Sea. The crossing of the Red Sea. Now I'm going to give you full disclosure. Uh, this week, the theme of the conference that Calvin and I attended was called Forward. And we had different messages, Forward by Faith, and different things like that, and uh, forward, uh, forward with Commitment, and you know, they were all assigned different messages. And two of the preachers preached from Exodus chapter 14. And uh, as a matter of fact, the first two preachers, Brother Brett Pennell uh, was sitting beside me in the first message. Brother Connor, Gord Connor was preaching, and he said, turn to Exodus 14, and Brother Pennell just turned white. And he said, there was only one preacher before me, and when you know, he got my scripture. And so he was worried because he got up at midnight, Vancouver time, 3 a.m. here. He got up at midnight, and now it's 10 o'clock our time and 11 o'clock our time. He says, I'm going to be up 24 hours, and I'm going to have to stay up all night and get a new sermon because I preach first thing in the morning. But praise the Lord, Brother Connor went a totally different direction, and uh, he was able to still preach his message. But, but you know, as, as preachers preach, I often... I'm challenged by other things in the passage. And so I'm not going to preach their messages if you were happen to tune into any of that or you want to go back and look at those things. But uh, the Lord gave me a, a different message. And, and uh, isn't that wonderful that the, the Word of God is so full of truth that we can, we can look at the same passage. The story is told of, of D.L. Moody years ago, and he was uh, talking to a young preacher. I can't remember his name, and I'm sorry about that, but this young preacher contacted him from overseas and he said, I've heard of the great work you're doing in Chicago. I'd, I'm a preacher and I'd like to come and visit it. And he says, I would like to preach to your young men if I could. And of course, uh, uh, the YMCA came out of that, the Young Men Christian Association. And uh, so he had a group of boys that he'd teach every Saturday, about 400 boys would come in and he preached the Bible to them. And, and so uh, Moody thought, sure, he'll never make it here. So he says, come on over. Anytime you want, come on over. I'll let you preach. And he'd heard of him, but he didn't know much of him. And so wouldn't you know, a little short time later, he got a, a telegraph that he was in Boston and getting on a train to Chicago. And he said, oh boy. He says, I'm going out of town. But he says, I guess I promised to let him preach. I'll let him preach. And so he went away for a week and this young man showed up and he preached every night to the boys. And every night he preached in John 3.16. Seven nights in a row. And Moody came home from his trip and he said to his wife, how's the young preacher doing? She says, oh, he's a wonderful preacher, but you won't like him. 
Because he preaches that God loves the sinner. And Moody had always believed that God hated sinners. And he goes, well, I'll go down there tonight and I'll straighten him out. And so he went down that night and the young man got up and preached and he says, I've searched the scriptures all day and I, I can still find no better text than John 3.16 for the eighth night in a row. He preached John 3.16. And the first person at the altar was D.L. Moody, begging God to forgive him for not believing that God loved the sinner. I'm so glad that Jesus loves me, that he died for me. God commended his love toward us in that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. And so I'm thankful that we can look at the same passage of Scripture and God can give us different messages. And so I pray today that that would be the case. Exodus chapter 14, let's look there this morning. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pahirath, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Siphon, before it shall... Uh, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that, in, uh, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, and the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them, encamping by the sea, beside Pihirath, before Baal-Siphon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. We'll leave off our reading there. We'll look at more scripture in a moment. But the title of my message comes from verse two, or sorry, verse three, where the Bible says, "For uh, Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land." I'd like to preach a message this morning with God's help, just simply entitled "Entangled." Entangled. Let's pray, Father. I've enjoyed the worship today, but that doesn't matter at all. It only matters if you're pleased. So I pray, Lord, that even though we are weak and feeble and just doing our human best, we pray that you'd receive it as a sweet-smelling savor, or that you'd be honored and praised today. Know our hearts, Lord, that we are just trying our best to lift up the name of Jesus. Father, I pray you turn our hearts and minds towards Scripture now. May the Holy Spirit of God, I'll admit I need your help in filling, and I pray that you'd fill me as I surrender to thee. And I pray that your spirit would speak to each of us today and enforce these truths of God's word in our hearts and lives. And Father, we'll thank you for all these things and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Exodus chapter 14, of course, we read of a story that takes place shortly after Israel has left Egyptian bondage. You'll remember the story of Egyptian bondage, of course, that Israel descended into Egypt 70 souls, and while they were there for some 400 years, they multiplied and grew, and the, the people became strong, and, and the Egyptians used them as slaves to build their great cities. Over time, God sent a deliverer by the name of Moses. And Moses would go before Pharaoh, and he'd say, let my people go, and of course, Pharaoh had no motivation to do so until God sent 10 different and distinct plagues upon the people of Egypt. And finally, upon the death of the firstborn of every home of Egypt, Pharaoh would finally reluctantly let the people go. We will read in a moment of these chariots that would descend upon the people of Israel encamped by the Red Sea. And I want you to think about those chariots. And the Bible says the armies of Pharaoh were there. And I, I want you to think about this. There was not a home in Egypt that was not touched by death. Every last home lost their firstborn. Every one of them. Think about that. These were an angry people coming after Israel. This was not just bring them back to me. This was people with blood upon their hearts and minds. If they could, they would have slaughtered every last one of them just out of anger and spite and revenge. The people were angry. And as they approached the Red Sea, I want you to notice that God began to lead them. And he said to Moses, I want you to turn aside. And I want you to, to go in and camp yourself right here. And he says, when you get there at Baal Sippor and, and, and Pirahiath, he says, there you will encamp. And he says, Pharaoh will look upon it and he'll say, the people are entangled in the land. I want you to know that was exactly God's plan. God had a purpose in all of this. And as I outlined the scripture in my mind and in my heart, I, I began to think about, first of all, we see an impossible predicament. An impossible predicament. The Bible uses the word entangled in verse 3, and the word entangled means to be confused or perplexed. It means there's nowhere to turn and no idea what to do next. God had brought Israel to a place where they thought there was no way forward. They were encamped with the Red Sea before them and they had desert and hard land on either side of them and they were caught in this little place and, and, and Pharaoh's armies were crashing down from behind. It left them wondering, what do we do next? Where do we turn? How do we get out of this situation? As a matter of fact, they would complain about it. It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt and to be the servants of Pharaoh than to come out here and die in the wilderness. I think their words were, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out in the wilderness to die? They were discouraged people. And you know, as I thought about that and was mulling those thoughts over, I wonder maybe there's some here today that feel like that. Maybe you feel like you're in an impossible situation, that you're trapped on every side. There's no way backwards, there's no way forwards, and you just kind of seem like you're stuck. Maybe it's a, a dead-end job and you're just not getting enough to pay the bills, and maybe there's a family situation going on that is perplexing you and wondering and crying out to God, God, what do I do next? And I, I cannot see a way forward. 
But I want you to be reminded today that with God, there's always a way. No matter how difficult the situation seems, understand this, God has a plan. It was God that told Moses, this is the exact place I want you to be. And I can't believe for a moment that God would rain down 10 plagues upon Egypt and lead Israel out just to let them die in the wilderness. The people had already forgotten what God had done and did not believe that he could save them in this moment. So we see an impossible predicament, but we see the responses and indignant people. Look, if you will, in verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. I want you to notice three things as we think about this indignant people, these people that were angry. First of all, we see they were afraid. You know, we, we stop going forward for God a lot of times simply because of fear. The people had come to the Red Sea, and, and humanly speaking, we would stand there with them and say, where now, Moses? Where are we supposed to go? I think the normal behavior would say, okay, let's camp here for a night. There's much water, and though you could not drink the water, it was salt water. Perhaps they could bathe and, and get refreshed a little bit. And, and, and so let's camp here for a night, but we'll have to back out of this situation before we proceed to the Mount of God. That was not God's plan at all. But now that the Egyptians were crashing down upon them from behind and cut off any passage of escape, they were afraid. The Bible says they were sore afraid or they were very afraid. And, 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 and so we see in verse 10, they were afraid and they were angry over it. So we see in verse 11, not only were they afraid, they were angry. The Bible says he began to challenge the leadership. They said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, I was taken away in the wilderness to die. Wherefore hast thou thus dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? In the next verse, they basically say, didn't we tell you so? We get a little glimpse into their past that even in Egypt, there were some afraid to take this step of faith and follow God. Didn't we tell you? Maybe we're better off right here. And that brings us to the third reason they were indignant. They were, they were afraid. They were angry, but they were apathetic. They had been in Egypt for so long, they'd become comfortable in their surroundings. Why don't we just stay here, God, Moses? Why, why do we have to leave? Where are we going anyway? There's no plan. You tell us about God that, that brought us to this place, and now you're telling about a God that wants to bring us out of this place. Why should we follow him? We've been crying for 400 years, and he's not hurt us. Why should we leave? The people were apathetic. You know, sometimes we get stuck in a bad situation and we think God does not hear our cries. And when God even gives a sliver of light, we, we fear. Can we follow God? Can we trust God? Can we move forward by faith? The people were apathetic and we become so comfortable in our surroundings that we just get used to it. How many of you said this over the last couple of years? Well, I guess this is the new normal. 
Hey, it doesn't have to be. Move forward. Trust God. We get into a a situation with our health and we just get so used to it. And we wonder, will I ever feel better? Will I ever get better? My Bible tells me that Jesus is the great physician. We can trust him. And we can grow and we can move forward. Listen, I, I I used to tell young people all the time, you know, they'd get out of college and they'd say, well, I'm looking for that job that'll pay me uh, 80,000 a year, 90,000 a year, 100,000 a year. And I tell them this, I say, here's what you need to do. Go take any minimum wage job you can do and start tithing and see what God will do, where God will promote you and God will change your situation and, and move you forward. But the problem is we don't have the faith to do that. Are we willing to trust God? We become so apathetic in our situation that we never move forward. You see, why were they afraid and why were they angry and why were they apathetic? Let me show you what it says in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians. You know what the problem was? The pillar that God had sent, that cloud, it was still before them. Later on, in just a couple verses, we'll read that it will remove itself and it'll go behind them to protect them from the Egyptians. But that tells us that it was still in front of them. It was hovering over the Red Sea. It was there for them to to follow after and to gaze. And God had given them that cloud to keep their eyes firmly planted on him and to follow him through the wilderness. But somehow they lifted up their eyes and instead of looking forward, they looked back. The Bible says that a dog is returned again to his own vomit. We, we keep being slaves to the past and slaves to our sin when we need to keep our eyes firmly on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. But we're so attached to the past. Let's just be honest. Let's just take an inventory of our hearts this morning. How many of you just can't get past your past? Mainly because we have a bunch of Egyptians behind us called Satan reminding us of our past. But by the grace of God, we are born again. We are washed by his blood. We are cleansed. We are set free. But for whatever reason, Israel worried more about what was behind them than following the one in front of them. Let us go forward for God. You know, when you stop living by faith and start living by sight, you will fail every single time. How many remember the story of Peter trying to walk on the water? He was fine as long as he looked at Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous and the waves were large, he took his eyes off the Savior and he began to sink. Oh, let us keep our eyes on the Lord. Then we see thirdly in this passage, we see an inspiring prophet. Look at verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you by today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall not see them again, no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. I think Moses was an inspiring prophet. Notice, first of all, he refocused their attention. He refocused their attention. Notice what he says in verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear ye not, stand still. And what did he tell them to look at? And see the salvation of the Lord. He says, just a couple verses earlier, it says they beheld the Egyptians. And Moses saying, hey, no, 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 no. Look over here. God is still before us. 
Look up here and see the salvation of the Lord. He refocuses our attention. And friends, if, if you come to church on Sunday and you've had a rough week, I, I just pray that the preaching of the word and the music and the worship that we do will say, hey, take your eyes off the world and look back to Jesus. That is our goal, that we would see Jesus. We sang today, behold our God. Behold our God. Read Isaiah chapter 40. Every verse comes out of that, that chapter, or that chapter of Scripture. We're saying, how great thou art. We tried to remind you of how good God is. Uh, listen, uh, we just sometimes need to refocus our attention. Do you know that the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, that is his ministry? The Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ said, when the Comforter has come, he will not testify of these, but he will testify of me. He will guide you into all truth. He shall bring to remembrance everything which I have spoken unto you. The Holy Spirit's job in your life or one of his ministries in your life is to point you to Jesus Christ. To remind you that when you're going through the fire, there is a fourth man. To remind you that when you're in a lion's den, that the angel of the Lord will come and shut the lion's mouth. To remind you that he is out there walking on the water and he can calm your seas. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You must not grieve him or vex him, but listen to the Holy Spirit. This inspiring prophet, first of all, we see that he refocused their perception. What we notice, secondly, he reminds them of a promise. Look at it says in verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Can I give you the Al Fury version? Shut up and watch the Lord work. Keep your mouth shut, you bunch of whining Israelites. I'm sure that's what Moses wanted to say. I'm sure he was just so sick of these people whining. He just wanted to shut up and watch God do his work. But he's so kind, isn't he? Hold your peace and just watch God. You know, that's sometimes the hardest thing we ever do is to be still and know that he is God. To hold our tongue we, we whine, we complain, and yet God is always at work. And it reminds him of a promise. He said, what promise? The promise that God gave ten times back in Egypt. Every plague was a promise from God. I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for you. Ten times, louder and longer, he bellowed from the heavens. I'm on your side. Paul said something like that, didn't he? If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans chapter 8. We have an inspiring prophet, but I want you to notice the next thing. I'm almost getting to my message. This is just introduction. I'm just trying to outline the passage. I want to give you four principles. You ready? Here's the next thing. We see an inconsolable preacher. Here's the thing. Moses stood before the people, and boy, he was inspiring but when he turned to God, his heart was broken. Do you know he's just a man? I mean, if you were to go to Israel today, down by the Red Sea, you'd see a big statue of Moses, a church dedicated to his memory, all these things. You know, Everywhere we went in Israel, there was the church of this apostle, the church of that. There was statues. This is where Jesus did this. And, and just monuments everywhere, and they honor Moses. But listen... Sometimes those, those guys we put up on a pillar, don't forget, they're just human flesh and blood like you and I. 
And Moses, in the very next verse, look what it says in verse 15, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? I can, I can just see Moses putting on his brave face and getting up in front of the people and saying, you're going to behold the wonder of the Lord. These Egyptians that you've seen, you'll never see them again after today. So hold fast, hold your peace, and let God work. And then he turns around, God, what are we going to do? And God says, what do you mean we? Quit your whining and go forward. Why are you crying to me, Moses? Notice verse 15, we'll read the rest. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. God had made his plan clear. And by the way, here, here's the funny thing. Moses is crying to God. God had told Moses exactly what he was going to do. He'd already told him. And yet Moses feared. He's flesh and blood. But let me give you these things here now. Now we see an important principle. An important principle. The last couple words of verse 15 say, go forward. Here's the thing we can be reminded of from those two words. The plan of God had not changed. The plan of God had not changed just because they could not see the way through. I'm reminded of those disciples out on the boat tossing in the sea and in the storm. The Bible says they were afraid. And they thought they were going to perish. But they had forgotten what Jesus said, get in the boat and go to the other side. Just because there's a few storms in life doesn't mean God's plan changes. It just means God's going to see you through it. God's going to see you through it. So why? Why did God, and make no mistake about it, God put Israel in this situation on purpose. He said to Moses, tell the people to turn aside. To go to Pihahirath and Baal-zippor and camp there. And he says, against the Red Sea. And then when Pharaoh hears of it, he will say they are entangled. God had put them in that exact situation. He said, oh, God, God doesn't cause difficult things in our lives. Are you sure? He sure allowed it for Israel. But there was an important principle they had to learn. Let me give you four of them if I could. Number one, a realization. Look back at verse 2 with me. Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn in a camp before Pihahirath, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. So very clearly God told them where to go. Verse 3, For Verel will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. Verse 4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and listen to this, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the, what's the next word? Everybody say it together. Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Here's the realization Israel had to come to. 
It's not always about you. This was all about Egypt. God said, I'm going to bring you to this place where it feels like it's an impossible situation. Pharaoh's going to look upon it and say they're entangled in the land. He's going to think Moses is a fool of a general to lead his people to this place where there is no way forward and no way to the east and no way to the west, but they must just be encamped in this little place that Egyptians can trap them in and either take them back into captivity or slay them at their will. What a fool. But make no mistake about it, it wasn't about Israel. God said, the Egyptians are going to find out who I am. This is lesson number 11 for the Egyptians, by the way. They've had 10 lessons and they still don't get it. I wonder in my heart if there were not some Egyptians that had turned their heart to God. Maybe, I don't have scripture to prove it, I can't, I can't tell you that. I know that they'd all been touched by death in each and every home. But I wonder in my heart... If after 10 plagues, some of them didn't go, Jehovah, he is God. But they're foot soldiers. They have no choice in this but to obey Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's heart was hard. And he sent them down. And the Egyptians learned an important lesson. Here's what I, I believe. Every Egyptian that died in the sea that day believed in God. They finally believed in Jehovah. The Bible says that God reached down, he plucked the chariot wheels off every chariot. And then he allowed the water. They couldn't escape. And then the water began to close. Every Egyptian died believing who the true God was. Think about that. We see a realization. Here's the second principle, a reminder. Look at verse 15. The Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Here's the reminder. God always has a plan, even though it might seem impossible. The people were chirping at Moses. Where do we go now? And Moses comes back from his prayer time and he says to the people, God says we go forward. You can't go forward, Moses. In case you haven't seen, there's a big ocean of water in front of us. Where are we going to go? You're going to go forward. In a moment, I'm going to lift my rod and God's going to send a wind and he's going to part the seas. And the Bible says the water will stand like walls on either side as we walk through. Amazing. It's a great reminder to us today that no matter what situation you find yourself in, nothing is impossible with God. If he wants you to get to the other side, you'll get to the other side. There is a way through. But we must trust him. I wonder in my heart and mind, I wonder if there were some Israelites that went off and hid in the, in the brambles, in the unpassable territory that they were trapped on, maybe hiding from Pharaoh. Maybe there was others that thought, if we run real fast, we can get out of here and, and, and go out the back way without the, uh, before the chariots get here. We see the dust clouds in the distance, but maybe there's some time. But the Bible says all of Israel passed through on dry ground. Eventually they had to come to this realization and this reminder 
God is able, no matter the situation. Here's the third principle. Number one, we see a realization. They had to realize it wasn't about them. We have a reminder that God always has a plan, even though it might seem impossible. Number three, we see a revelation. Jump down to verse 23 with me. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, watch, the Lord looked up unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the hosts of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels. I like that. I don't know why. I just like that. Did you catch that? God took off their chariot wheels. Can you imagine? I think it'd be neat if it all happened at the same time. How many hands does God have? Like just all the wheels just start going flying. And those things are dangerous. I, I was driving down the 403 one time and there was a U-Haul truck and its tire snapped off and went, whoo, hit the guardrail and bounced back the other way and we just missed that thing. Can you imagine 600 chariots, 1,200 wheels flying everywhere? Well, that's, that's fun. I want to see the movie. Uh, where was I? I'm sorry. Verse 20. Five. He took off their chariot wheels, that they drave them heavily. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. Hey, they, they learned something, didn't they? Verse 26, and the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the sea, and the waters may come upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. We see a revelation. And I'll just say this again, as far as a revelation, every Egyptian that died that day knew that Jehovah was God and that he fought for his people. Maybe you need that revelation today. You say, well, I kind of know it in my heart. No, 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 listen. How quickly do we forget? It seems that when things are going well, it's wonderful. We can come to church and we can sing these praises, but I'm, I'm going to promise you something here today, friend. There were some people here singing those praises with broken hearts today. I have a daughter-in-law today mourning her father. And there's some in here in mourning. And some that are in other situations and you're wondering, do I have a job tomorrow? Is so-and-so going to recover from this? Your hearts are breaking. And you need that revelation, hey, God is still fighting for you. He loves you. And if he be for us, who can be against us? He said, oh, the, but you don't understand. The, 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 I can hear the chariots. God can snap them wheels right off. They'll be running for their lives. You need not fear. There's one more principle I want to give you. We've seen a realization. It's not always about me. A reminder that God always has a plan. A revelation that God is for us. But I want you to see the result. Look at verse 29. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw 
that great work which the Lord did unto the Egyptians, or upon the Egyptians. And look at this, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. You remember what I said back in verse 2? This wasn't about Israel. This was about Egypt. God said so. I can't argue with the scripture. But notice the result. Israel learned to fear the Lord. Sometimes we get put in these situations, and it's not always about you. But can I say this? When God begins to work, the result that God is always looking for is that you'll draw closer to him. That you'll learn to trust him. That you'll fear him. That you'll love him more. I, I, I got thinking about this. Israel is encamped against that water. And maybe, just maybe, the, listen, the Bible says, I believe it's in verse 1, where they went out with a high hand. That, that means with a lot of pride. I, I was watching a college football game one time, and uh, this player, it was Oklahoma versus Texas Tech. And that year, Texas Tech was like number one in the nation, Oklahoma was number two, and Texas was number three. And, and it ended up that Tech lost that game. They got blown out and dropped to number three, and they were out of the championship thing. But I remember that one of those Oklahoma players, Texas Tech player, was running, going in for the touchdown, and an Oklahoma player, I mean, he flattened him. He, he laid him out. I, it was awesome. It was good. But he stood over top of him kind of straddled him on the ground, and he was, ah, you know how they get all hyped up, and he was raising his hands, and he was all excited about that hit, and he got a flag, and it was for high-handedness. The penalty was high-handedness, gloating in your victory, unsportsmanlike conduct. The Bible says the people of Israel came out with high-handedness, with a high hand. They were gloating that they'd won. They didn't win anything, by the way. God won. But they were, and as they're camped above that Red Sea, I wonder what their worship service was like. I went to camp enough times as a kid that normally you start singing on the bus. Kids all, you know, especially you start, you go, you go into camp and you're, you sing along. On the way home, you're on high, so you're singing a lot louder. I wonder what their worship service was like. And man, we're excited they brought us out of Egypt and they're singing. And then they see those chariots. Do you think their song changed? But let me ask you, what do you think their worship service was like as they were coming out and saw those bodies on the shore? All the Egyptians lay dead. And now they truly fear the Lord. And now they truly respect God's man. Oh man, what a service that would have been. As they lifted their voices in praise and worship to God. Sometimes God has to bring us through some impossible situations where we cannot see a way through in order for us to draw closer to him. The Bible talks about a shepherd that casts the lamb. And when that lamb heals, he follows right at the shepherd's feet. I don't know what your situation's like today. Some of you I do. I know there's some folks that are struggling and hurting. Let me tell you, even though you don't see a way, God does. God has a plan, and it's not changed. We need to trust him.
and keep following. Let me encourage you with one more verse of scripture. Can I, can I say this? Don't ever look back. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, let me read it to you. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. He's saying these people of faith just kept moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. Why? Because they saw something afar off, and they kept their eyes on it. Now listen to this. For they that say such things, that we're pilgrims on this land, they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Now listen. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity of returned. But now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldees because he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And the Bible says this about him. He never looked back. He said, where does it say that? Because if he had been mindful of that country from whence he came, he might have gone back to it. I don't believe that Abraham ever sat around with his family he said, oh, do you remember the pomegranates back in Ur? They didn't long for the past because they knew God had something better. Do you know what the Israelites did? Every single time they got in trouble, they said, oh, you remember the leeks and garlics of Egypt? Would to God we'd go back there. There's no water. You brought us out here to die. There's no food. We had leeks and garlic in Egypt. I'm sick of this manna, this light bread. That's another verse I like, by the way. God gave them quail until it came out their noses. I love that. I don't know why. I'm carnal today. I'm just telling you. I just like that. But they complained and they complained. Do you know why? Because they kept looking back. Instead of focusing on that pillar of fire and that cloud by day, the God who went before them. Let's bow. Father, help us today, we pray. Speak to our hearts and move in our midst. Maybe there's somebody here today who needed the reminder just to keep their focus upon God. Lord, I, I want to be like Moses, the inspiring prophet who would just say to people, keep looking to Jesus, keep looking. And I know at times I'm also that inconsolable preacher. But Lord, I pray that today we'd be reminded of Scripture, what, what happens when we look back. When we allow our past to overtake us, when we're mindful of that old country, that old life, those old things that, that draw us and call us to come home, Lord, help us to seek a better place, a better country, a, a home not made with hands, something that you've prepared for us. If the Israelites could just have trusted God, they wouldn't have had to die in the wilderness. All of them would have went to the promised land. God, I pray that today maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. And Father, may we be reminded that there is a God who loves us, who sent his Son to die for us. And so, Lord, move in our hearts now, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We want to give you a chance to respond.
Maybe God has spoke to your heart and this altar is open. Maybe you're going through something right now and you feel like your life is just stalled by the Red Sea. You're in an impossible predicament and you don't see a way out. You don't see a way through it. God's plan has not changed and he will lead you through. Keep taking one step of faith at a time and move forward. Maybe there's somebody here today say, Preacher, I don't know this God you speak of. I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I don't have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He did to pay the price for my sins. Calvin did a great job this morning reading Scripture and exhorting us and shared with us a little bit about the Gospel. And the music to start our service was about Jesus dying for our sins and He paid your price. So you don't have to pay it yourself. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Could we help you today? I promise I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to call your name. Could I pray for you today? Is there one? Pastor, I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd go, heaven or hell, I'm not sure. Could we pray for you? Could we help you? Is there one? Is there somebody here today say, Pastor, I, I feel like that sometimes. I'm in, an, in a bad situation. It, it seems impossible. Would you pray for me? Just slip up your hand. I, I just don't see a way through it. Is there one? Yes, amen. I see that hand. Others? Somebody said this. Life is bills and mortgages and taxes and death and all those things. And Jesus said, I've come to give it to you more abundantly. (laughs) It just seems like there's times in our lives where all that becomes overwhelming. Yet God is able. God is able.